Uh, we have a special guest. His name is Lance Kaufman. Lance is the pastor of Wallula Christian Church. That is uh, out on 7 Highway, um, head south out of Lansing. And uh, Lance was here last year, and he's been in here for, for prayer nights before here. So he's not a, un, he's not a stranger. He's, he's just extended family. And today, when Lance comes and joins us, I want to encourage you to, uh, to greet him, to welcome him like he's extended family. Make him feel welcome. As we uh, enter into this next week of one... And as we're working through this season of one, our our series big idea that we're wrestling through here and that Lance is going to continue with today is that Jesus told stories that are keys to the kingdom of God. Things that, that, that get us closer and closer and closer to thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so I want to, I want to give you guys an opportunity. Just lean in today. Listen to an incredible challenge an incredible warning, but also a spirit-led opportunity. I love you, Westside. We'll see you at the end of service. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. I'm not sure, but I think Joe just introduced me as the weird uncle. (laughs) But that's okay, because uh, I've been described in worse ways. Uh, My name is Lance. I'm one of the pastors at Wallula Christian Church. I I think you're looking at a picture there of of myself and my wife, Sherry. Uh, We uh, had a chance... we're maybe you're going to figure out we're not that great at planning because we have all three kids right now in college together. And uh, w- one of the things we've uh, discovered is, is that while there are some challenges with that, right, there are some really good things as well. And uh, one of those is, is that when vacation time runs around, you know, it turns out that two airline tickets are a lot less than five airline tickets. And so uh, it makes some of those things a little more accessible now and, and at this stage in life, this season in life. And uh, just uh, several weeks ago, we had a chance to uh, go to Florida on vacation. And so we, we flew there. And uh, I'm a little bit of an anxious flyer. I'm, it's not my favorite thing in the world to do. And so I'm one of the few people, I suppose, that when the flight attendant stands up and they're giving their speech, you know, they're issuing all the warnings. I, I'm listening. I want to know. That's the information that I think I need to have, you know. And so I'm, I'm paying attention to those things and and uh, we were on our way home we were uh, connecting from Dallas to Kansas City and the flight attendant was going through their speech and they got to the part where uh, they're they're talking about water landings and they put the life preserver on and they started talking about water landings and I my mind started to wander and I thought okay well how good does this pilot need to be in order to find a body of water to make an emergency landing in between Dallas and Kansas City. And I started to think, you know, maybe, maybe this warning doesn't apply to me. You know, I can focus on something else because it just isn't applicable at this time. And I don't know if you've ever encountered a warning in life where you just sort of instantly put it away. You you put it in that box. You said, this warning doesn't 
apply to me? We spent a, about a week in, in Arizona, we ha- uh, Florida. We had some time and on, on the coast and at the beach, and that was a lot of fun. And we, were, we traveled to watch my son play baseball. He was playing a little more inland. So eventually we went a, a little further inland, and, and uh, we were killing some time before the ball game started. And Sherry said, why don't we go to this park? It, it's around a lake. There's a, there's a path we can walk around the lake, and, and we'll just hang out there for a little bit. I said, that sounds great. And so we went to the park, and we we're walking around, and, and I saw this sign next to the water. We were walking down towards the water, and the, it said, hey, watch out for alligators, right? It, it had this warning about alligators. It said, look, alligators have a natural fear of humans, but when humans feed alligators, they lose that fear. And, and so I thought, okay, we better pay attention. Sherry, though, said, oh, man, Lance, I hope we see an alligator. And I said, no, didn't you read the warning? Didn't you read the sign? Because we don't know who's come before us. We don't know how many of these people have fed this alligator cheeseburgers. And oh, by the way, Sherry, you've been around me long enough to know I tend to smell like cheeseburger. (laughs) This might not be good. And I'm not confident... I'm not super confident in my ability to wrestle an alligator if, you know, push comes to shove. So we better just watch out. But I don't know if you've ever been like Sherry, though. You you maybe hear a warning, you see a warning, you, you know there's a warning there, but you think, oh man, the experience. Even if the consequence comes to be, the experience is so worth it. I'm just going to ignore this warning. Sometimes we encounter warnings and we put it in that box. Perhaps there'll be a consequence, but it's a ways down the road. And the experience will be so worth it. We're walking around that lake and we got from the alligator sign. The next sign I saw was another warning. And there was a disc golf course in this park. And it said, watch out for flying discs. And I thought, okay, come on. I mean, I get the alligator, right? I want to pay attention to that warning. But uh, look, uh, I've slowed down. I'm getting older. I'm not confident in my ability to wrestle an alligator. But I am supremely confident that if I see a frisbee flying at me, I can dodge it or catch it. And even if I fail to do one of those two things and the frisbee hits me, I'm probably walking away from that. Right? That, that disc, that frisbee would have to be thrown with David and Goliath-like precision for it to do real harm to me. And, and maybe you encounter warnings on occasion where you think, okay, but big deal. The consequence just isn't that big of a deal. I suppose we encounter warnings every day that we may be put in one of those three categories. Jesus as we are working our way through this series, a storyteller, Jesus is telling these stories. He's a master storyteller. And we're going to encounter a story today that is maybe one of the more unusual parables, one of the more unusual stories that Jesus tells. But it's, it, it's a story with a warning. Really, uh, each one of these stories has a warning in it, if we pay close attention. And, and this warning that Jesus offers today, we, we cannot afford to miss we simply cannot afford to miss this one warning 
It's one of his most unusual parables. It's found in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. That's where we'll be today. I think that as Jesus tells these stories, the, uh, one of the reason he t- reasons he tells parables is because we're on a need-to-know basis. And he tells stories so that the people that need to know will know. And those that don't need to know, they won't know. And there's three need-to-knows that Jesus has in store for us in this most unusual of his parables that can help us to pay attention, to heed, to not miss this one warning that he offers that none of us can afford to miss. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open them to Luke, the 16th chapter. That's just Matthew, Mark, Luke in your New Testament. We're in chapter 16, taking a look at verses 19 to 31. That's Luke chapter 16. This is what God's word says. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. All right, an interesting story that Jesus tells here, an unusual story. I think it has three need-to-knows for us this morning. Need-to-know number one is that God knows your name. The first need-to-know we we have to pay attention to, if we want to heed Jesus' warning here, is that God knows your name. Look how the story begins. It's It's really a comparison, a compare and contrast between the rich man and the poor man. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day and at at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table moreover even the dogs came and licked his sores so as we compare and contrast the rich man and the poor man here in the story that Jesus tell is telling the first thing we notice is that the rich man man he was a sharp dresser he had all the best clothes he was dressed in the finest of linen in these purple garments now i'm a kansas state fan and today's a good day to be a kansas state fan a little less of a good day to be a ku fan not that i harbor any ill will hang in there as always next year so I get, I get purple clothing, right? I, I, I can dig that a little bit. But the, in the first century, purple garments were royal garments. They were regal. They were seriously expensive. It cost a lot of money to do anything to fabric in the first century, to dye any fabric, any color. But 
purple was the color of royalty. Purple was the very best. And I'm not especially a a fashion-forward kind of person, but I understand that what we wear, what the clothes that we have on says something about who we are, all of those things. We're, we're in this partnership with 1KC with churches all around the world, really. It's such an extraordinary time to, to be involved in this reading and listening plan, to, to be uh, listening to and, and preaching and hearing messages that you know churches all around the world are participating in at the same time. Just, just think about that for a little bit. It's so cool. And and uh, one of the churches that we're partnering with, you guys will be serving with them next Saturday, is Sunflower uh, Missionary Baptist Church. Now, uh, their style is a little different than the church I serve in at Wallula. They take very seriously this idea of your Sunday best. I grew up in a church like that. You know, when I was a kid, you had clothes that maybe you wore to school and clothes that you goofed around in, perhaps, and you had clothes that you wore to church on Sunday, it, they were your Sunday best, and and this atmosphere here at West Side is a little more like our our atmosphere at Wallula. We don't maybe take that as seriously as as Sunflower Baptist. We had a a, a prayer and worship night at Sunflower Baptist. Some of you were there, and uh, and uh, that afternoon I was getting ready to go, and I thought I might need to change from what I wore to church on Sunday to what I wear to this prayer and worship night Sunday night. I'm just not sure. And so I I sent a text to my more fashion conscious, better looking friend Casey. And I said, Casey, look, I've got this seventh grade girls question for you. What are you wearing tonight? Right? I, I've deleted that text. I'm a little embarrassed I've sent it, but I, I wanted to know, hey, if you're wearing a, 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 a jacket and tie, then I better put on a jacket and tie. I don't want to be the only guy there not looking the part. I don't want to do anything to offend anyone. I certainly I don't want to embarrass Walula. I don't want to embarrass our Lord. Right, And so I ask this question. This, we have all kinds of different reasons, I suppose, for dressing the way we do. This rich man, though, his wardrobe, he wanted it to tell everyone he encountered, I've got more than you do. I'm wealthy. I'm winning, man. I've got it going on. What did the poor man have to wear? Well, Jesus said that he was covered in sores. He was covered in sores that were opened themselves so that the dogs would come up and lick and nip at his sores. And there's quite a contrast between wardrobes, between the rich man and the poor man. The story goes on to describe the diets of these two men. And that the rich man, he feasted sumptuously every day. And the poor man, he hoped just for a few scraps to fall from his table. He was hoping just for the rich man to carry out a doggy bag one afternoon. Just one time. It never, ever came. I suppose you, you, you've had that experience where you've gone to the pantry or the fridge and you've opened the door and, and you, you looked inside, you're thinking it's lunchtime, what, what am I going to make for lunch? And then you close the door and you walk away thinking... There's nothing in this house to eat. Now, very few of us have ever really meant that when we've thought it or when we've said it out loud. We really think, "Eh, nothing really sounds good. I'd rather go out to eat for lunch anyway. 
Very few of us have been in a place where we are unsure of where our next meal is coming from. That's where this poor man was. He had no idea. He was hoping just for the rich man to share a little bit of what he had with him. There's some real differences between the rich man and the poor man. And Jesus' audience would have already been putting into categories, you know, what the rich man looks like and what the poor man looks like and why they look like that. And they, they would have been building up these ideas. But, but did you notice the biggest difference between the rich man and the poor man in our story? The biggest difference is that the poor man is named. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores. Lazarus is a name that means God helps. And, and so it makes sense in our story. Maybe it's, he's named as, as Lazarus to sort of fill in some of the gaps as we work our way through this story and we'll see how God helps Lazarus in just a minute. Our, our names mean something, at least some of the time. We, we maybe name our kids with, you know, after our grandparents or, or their parents or, or a family name that, that perhaps you, you carry through generations. Uh, when our oldest was born, uh, our, our son was born, and, and Sherry said, I think we ought to name him Clayton. And I said, well, okay, that sounds, it sounded really like a long name for such a little guy. You know, it, it seemed to me like a, a specially sophisticated name for such a little guy. And I thought, I'm not sure if we should name him Clayton. And we kind of talked about it, and I said, okay, let's do this. Let's name him Clayton. We were living in Arizona at the time. And I said, let's name him Clayton. We'll spell it with a K so his initials will be KC. It'll remind us of home. And, and we can use that as a nickname. Now, here's the trick, all right? If any expectant parents, new parents, whatever, if you want your kid to be go by a nickname, mom has to call him that nickname. If mom doesn't use the nickname it's probably not going to stick. And so Clayton, it, we ne only his baseball team calls him KC because those are his initials and baseball players aren't very creative. All right? <laughs> Nobody calls him KC. It just didn't stick. It, it, maybe your name has special meaning. Maybe it doesn't. Uh, to me in this story, it's not so much what Lazarus' name means. That's not the most important part. The most important part is that he's named at all. Jesus' audience would have been thinking, okay, the rich man has it all together. He has more than enough. God has blessed him in so many ways. The poor man must have done something to deserve this. He ends up with nothing. Covered in sores that dogs are, are licking and biting. What a terrible life. What did he do? And yet it's Lazarus who is named. No matter where you see yourself on that, on that spectrum, if you, like in Jesus' audience, are, are building that line from the, the poor man to the rich man, from loser to winner, and you think, I fall somewhere in between here, no matter where it is, we might see ourselves on that line, on that spectrum. God knows your name. He loves you in this extraordinary way that He wants a personal relationship with you. 
Eugene Peterson said it like this. He said, at our birth, we are named, not numbered. The name is the part of speech by which we are recognized as a person. We're not classified as a species of animal. We're not labeled as a compound of chemicals. We're not assessed for our economic potential and given a cash value. We are named. What we are named is not as significant as that we are named. God knows your name. No matter what brought you here this morning, no matter where you are on that spectrum, no matter whether you see yourself as winner or loser, have or have not, God loves you. He knows your name. The second need to know in this story today so that we can pay attention to Jesus' warning is that his kingdom is upside down. Second need to know is that his kingdom is upside down. Let's take a look here at verse 22 where this compare and contrast of the rich man and the poor man is going to continue. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you and your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus and his like in like manner bad things but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish and besides all this between us and you a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side the rich man also died and was buried It's interesting to me that Jesus only mentions one man being buried. Now, this makes sense even in our culture. A proper burial is something that we take uh, pretty seriously. But in the first century, Jewish folks and Roman folks alike would have taken very seriously this idea of being buried in a proper manner. We get a little picture of this even in the life of Jesus. Jesus dies on the cross and and Joseph of Arimathea has to go to Pilate to request the body of Jesus so that he could bury him in a tomb. It took a rich man, Joseph of Arimathea, to provide a burial for a poor man, Jesus. And here in our story, only one of the men is described as being buried, the rich man. Uh, Romans took proper burial seriously as well. In fact, they had these uh, funeral clubs, these funeral societies that functioned as sort of a, uh, uh, an insurance policy where these clubs would, would take some of the money each week from a, a person's salary and they'd set that aside, they'd save it to guarantee that that person at the end of their life would have a proper burial. So the rich man was honored in his life. He had the best stuff to wear. He had the best food to eat. He was honored even in his death through this funeral and burial. The poor man, though, is described as being carried by angels to Abraham's side. Now, what does that mean? Well, Abraham was a father of the faith. He was a hero of the faith. We might assume that if you are at Abraham's side, then you are in the presence of God. And I think that's probably a fair assumption to make. Uh, Further, though, Abraham was thought to be this great example of hospitality. 
He took care of people. You, you might remember the story of Abraham. When, when God calls Abram, he said, hey, I want you to move out of your father's house. I'm, I'm going to give you and your wife a son. And through the son, I'm going to build a family. And through that family, I'm going to build a nation. And through that nation, I'm going to bless all the nations of the world. That's God's big promise to Abraham. And he makes that promise to Abraham and Abraham moved. He left his father's house. And from the perspective of Abraham and his wife Sarah, God was slow to keep his promise, even to the point where they tried to come up with their own solutions to the issue. At one point in Genesis chapter 18, these three men show up at Abraham's house. And Abraham goes out to meet these three men. Now, Scripture is clear in Genesis 18 that the Lord was at Abraham's house. I'm not so sure Abraham knew it, but he goes out to meet these three men. And he quickly says, hey, i got to bring you some water. I need to bring you some food. He sent a servant to get the, the calf and, and to butcher it and for the barbecue. And he is just being hospitable to these three men. He, he's playing host to the Lord himself. And so Abraham has this reputation as being a great host, as being hospitable. And here he's taking care of Lazarus, the poor man. That, that contrast continues. Maybe here, as we describe uh, Lazarus as being at Abraham's uh, side, we're, we're really hearing what Jesus taught already in Luke chapter 13, verses 28 and following, when he said, In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. Jesus has already described this upside-down kingdom, that the rich man, he had his rewards already. And because of his choices, he will be cast out, Jesus describes it here, where there's gnashing of teeth and weeping. But the poor man, he's got a seat at the table. The poor man is, is given his reward in the presence of, of God and the, at the side of Abraham. He's enjoying this, this personal relationship with his creator. Some of the older translations, the King James says that Lazarus is carried to the bosom of Abraham. Now we don't talk like that, but it describes this intimate personal relationship, doesn't it? That Lazarus is made part of the family He's got a seat at the table. And the rich man just can't quite figure it out. He said, uh, verse 24, he called out, send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received the good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. The rich man is, is, is being punished. He's in torment. He's so hot, he, he's desperate for a drink and, and he still doesn't quite get the, what, what, what's happened. He, he's, still, he's kind of the ultimate Karen, isn't he? He's still looking to talk to the manager. This isn't right. This isn't fair. He still expects, he still expects Lazarus to serve him. 
Bring Lazarus. Send Lazarus so that you know he could dip his finger into some water and that would cool me off so much. The rich man still just hasn't quite understood what real winning looks like. It's been over a decade, a long time ago now, uh, that this actor was at the, at the top of the Hollywood pyramid. He had everything. You know, he had the best houses, the best wardrobe. He had the biggest paycheck. He was earning $2 million for every television show that he filmed. Every week, he earned $2 million. He, he, he looked like a huge success. At the same time, though, his life was sort of spiraling out of control. He had these uh, domestic violence charges pending against him. He had some drug violations that he was dealing with. Not only were those criminal charges in process, but he was arguing with the producers of his television show saying, hey, $2 million really isn't enough. I need a bigger paycheck. In the midst of all of this kind of back and forth and the legal battles, he gives this television interview that some of you maybe remember. In the middle of that television interview, he's being asked about the different criminal charges and he's being asked about the salary conflict and all of those things. And he looked at the interview and he said, I don't know, but I know I'm winning. And he said it kind of just like that. But you watch the video and it's so clear from the picture that this guy wasn't winning at all. That he was an obvious physical and mental and spiritual pain that he was confused just like the rich man in Jesus' story didn't really know what winning looked like have you ever heard somebody say man this is as good as it gets maybe they're kicked back on the beach on vacation this is as good as it gets or they're taking a picture in front of their new car for you know, social media we do that sort of thing And this is as good as it gets. Or they just received the promotion at work. A bigger paycheck is coming in and they think this is as good as it gets. That actor, the rich man in Jesus' story, they bought the lie that the world has to tell you that this is as good as it gets. Now I'm so thankful. I'm thankful that this morning God woke me up, that he's given me another opportunity to serve him, another day to live. I'm grateful that I have clothes to wear, that when I go to that refrigerator, I'm not, I'm, I'm not unsure of where my next meal will come from. I'm thankful for a warm house God has provided for my family. I'm so thankful for that. But don't buy the lie that this is as good as it gets. There's an eternity our story tells us, waiting for us. Jesus said that, look, to, to the rich man, Abraham said, look, there's this chasm fixed between us that at a certain point, at a certain point, our eternity is fixed and we decide what side of the chasm will we be on? Will we say yes to Jesus? Will we enter into his upside down kingdom? Will we be a part of that? Or will we choose to chase after whatever the world says winning looks like? Jesus, as he tells the story, is in the middle of this long conversation with with some religious leaders, some of the crowd, that, that he describes as lovers of money. Understand this, that wealth is way more a part of the test than it is the final grade. And that's what the rich man in our story just missed. He never figured out 
that Jesus' kingdom is this upside-down kingdom. That's the second need to know. The third need to know. (laughs) The third need to know is that while you're on a need-to-know basis, I promise you that you know what you need to know. That's really, we, we encounter this story, and one of the reasons I say it's one of the more uh, difficult stories that, that uh, Jesus tells, one of the more unusual parables that he lays out, is that we read this parable, and we want, to, we want answers to the questions that we don't know. You know, we read this story, and we think, okay, I, I want answers to what eternity looks like. I want answers about the final destination. You know, I need to understand that, we think, we need to know. And I probably, this story doesn't really, it maybe raises more questions than it answers. I found this chart, somebody smarter than me drew this chart, and it describes the situation here. It says, okay, well, in the first century, you know, Jewish folks thought of Hades as this place where everybody went. And so the righteous were were comforted and the unrighteous were tormented. That's the picture of the story here, that the Rich man and the poor man are in Hades together, just divided by this chasm. And then the the author of this chart said, okay, but after the resurrection, then we get as these final destinations, heaven and hell. And that tends to be how we think about this. This isn't our home. Heaven is our home. The only problem with that is, is that books like Revelation in the New Testament describe this new heaven and this new earth showing up here when Jesus returns. And so from how I read it, that's really the final destination. And maybe this heaven and hell that we describe aren't the final, final destination. Maybe the story raises more questions than it answers. And so Jesus' audience here in the story, and even the guys in the story, this rich man is left with with some questions that he wants answered. And Abraham said, you know exactly what you need to know. Verse 27 said, and he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And so I thought, okay, well, what do we know from Moses and the prophets? Well, you go way back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. And Moses said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. In in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so Moses said, this is what God says you need to know. You need to know that there is one God. You're not him. Love him with all that you are, all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and love your neighbors just like you love yourself. Jesus said that, hey, if you want to know the first, the greatest commandment, the most important commandment, it's love God with all that you are. If you want to know the second, it's love your neighbor as yourself. We know what we need to know. All the way from what Moses taught the people of God. So let's think about, well, then what did the prophets say? In Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, it says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, but let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Let's pay attention to Jesus' upside-down kingdom and make sure we're boasting in the right things. What about Micah chapter 6, verse 8? 
He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. We know what we need to know all the way from Moses telling the people of God, love God with all you are, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus agrees. Those are the most important commands. The prophet saying, walk humbly with your God, love justice and mercy. What did the apostles say? I've been loving this, this reading and listening plan as we've been reading through the Gospels on our way to Easter. And, and a couple weeks ago, we were in Mark, and there's just an encounter that Jesus has with his, his closest group of friends, the 12 disciples. And he's walking. They're always going somewhere in Mark, aren't they? And they were on their way somewhere. And he said to his disciples, look, who do people say that I am? And, and his friends said, well, some people say that you're Elijah, and some say you're a prophet. And, and Jesus said, okay, but what about you guys? We've been, we've been doing life together for a while now. Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We know what we need to know. Are there questions about the afterlife? Are there questions about that final destination that I wish I could say for sure I knew? Oh, yeah. But I'm at peace because I know Jesus. And I know that there's a God who loves me in such an extraordinary way that He even knows my name, that He knows who I am. And because I can trust in Jesus, and that question of what side of the chasm isn't a question at all. Maybe we don't know exactly what that picture looks like. But what side I'm on? There's no question there. We know what we need to know. I suppose I suppose that uh, preachers and flight attendants have some things in common. You know, we both issue warnings that not everybody listens to. Uh, I was preaching a few weeks ago and I told the story at the uh, beginning of my message about my, my daughter Lacey and, and so Sherry was talking to Lacey later that day. She said, you gotta listen to dad's sermon today. He tells a story about you. And Lacey said, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll listen to it. And so a week or so goes by and, and uh, I said, hey Lacey, did you listen to that message? She said, oh yeah, I listened. I said, really? Well, what happened in this, I was referencing a part kind of in the middle. And she said, I didn't listen that far. You know, her story was at the beginning, and that's where she stopped. And I said, well, Lacey, honey, you don't have to tell me you listened to the message if you didn't listen to it. You know, there's people every Sunday who do that. It's okay. You know, it's all right. You don't have to say that. She said, oh, no, no, no. Dad, I listen all the time. I listen to your messages when I'm going to sleep. I thought, that's about right. I suppose... Preachers and flight attendants have that in common. That we issue warnings that some people ignore. And that's okay. It's all right. Look, you don't have to listen to my warnings. I I ignore my own warnings. You know, every day I put them in one of those three categories. I say, oh, that doesn't really apply to me. The experience will be worth it. The consequences are a long ways off. 
I bet the consequences aren't as severe as they say they are. You don't have to listen to my warnings, but please, don't miss this warning from Jesus. That chasm will be fixed. Our eternity will be fixed. Don't miss him. Say yes to him today.